And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Rosaria Champagne-Butterfield. She's a former tenured English professor at Syracuse University, and she specialized in women's studies. She now lives in North Carolina. She's a writer, speaker, homemaker, pastor's wife, and her husband, Kent, serves as senior pastor of First Reformed Presbyterian Church of Durham. Rosaria, it's an honor to have you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. It's it's my sincere pleasure to be joining you today. I've been reading one of your books, uh, published 2012 by Crown and Covenant Publications. Mm-hmm. It's titled, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert, An English Professor's Journey into the Christian Faith. And it's very interesting, engaging, helpful. And I'm wondering if you would share some of your story with our listeners, how the Lord worked in your life to draw you to himself and maybe the proximate means that he used of friendship and biblical hospitality. Yes, yes. Well, those are the two key things, Um, although they came packaged in a kind of funny way. So after I had um, my tenure book all written and um, I was pretty confident that things were going well, I turned my attention to, um, to writing a book that, that, I, that was really on my heart, and that was a, um, a critique of the religious right from a lesbian feminist point of view. And I, I, really, I really wanted to write this book because I totally did not understand why, um, why Christians would not leave consenting adults alone. It just seemed so anti-democratic and um, close-minded and incompatible with any of the virtues of what it would mean to be American. And so um, so in order to, to write a book like that, I had to read the Bible. I was, you know, an English professor, not an anthropologist, so I couldn't just go around and interview people. I actually had to hunker down and read this Bible. And, um, and I was, my reading of the Bible was jump-started when the um, Christian men's book, uh, group, the Promise Keepers, came to Syracuse University. And, and it's been so many years since this happened. I don't even remember what the what the trigger was, you know, what the big transgression was. I don't know, maybe my favorite parking spot was taken that day. But I was livid. I was I was outraged. I was threatened that this group that held ideals that were so incompatible with the teaching of the university was, was allowed to just hunker down for days and um and quite frankly, in my opinion, infect uh, you know, a, a safe space with prejudice. And so I wrote uh, an op-ed piece, and uh, I published it in the Syracuse Post Standard. I think that was it. And then um, immediately I started getting feedback um, so much that I just kept boxes on each side of my desk, one for hate mail and one for fan mail. (laughs) And um, because, you know, what do you do with all that mail, especially when you're an introvert? You know, it's just overwhelming (laughs) to read that much mail. Um, but one of the letters really defied my filing system, and it was from Pastor Ken Smith, who was then the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. Um, it was the kindest letter of opposition I have, have ever received in my life, and, um, and it was so disarming uh, that I just didn't know how to file it, uh, which, you know, <laughs> which was a problem for me. Um, and then to just kind of quickly move through this, um, one of the things that Ken had asked me to do in this letter was call him to discuss these things, and um, and I was resisting doing that, but a friend of mine pointed out that that would be really good for my research because 
I really didn't know how to read the Bible. It was a book that was written in languages I don't study. It was not, this isn't my field. Um, mm-hmm. And so really, because I was just a really good manipulator and user, I called Ken back. And that began a complex um, and, and, and very uh, strange in some ways, but very uh, deep and important friendship. Um, what Ken did and his wife Floyd did for me in two years, starting with that first phone call, was they brought the church to me, a heathen, because they knew that I couldn't walk through the doors of the church quite yet. Mm. So that was how this really uh, began. Mm -hmm. One of the things that happened also was, um, uh, you know, in order to uh, study this, uh, you know, this book, I needed to understand a couple of things that I just was resistant to understand. But um, in in reading through it, it did it did become very clear to me that uh, I was accountable to the issue, the concept of truth, whether I believed in it or not. And um, one of the really startling things uh, for me, really, was this this change of subject position that I um, that, that that I think I experienced in reading the Bible. I had always thought that it was my job to read books and critique them and, and, you know, tell you all what to think of it. But it was stunning to me to realize that, indeed, uh, the Bible had the right to interrogate my life and my culture and, and not the other way around. Mm-hmm. So that was very, very striking. And, and during all of these, you know, all of the complexity of this, I mean, I was still, I was still actively involved in my lesbian community. I was still um, happily partnered um, to my lesbian partner, um, I was still teaching thousands of college students to despise the things of God and the Bible in the many, many, in you know, in many ways, both direct and indirect. Um, but but Ken and Floyd met with me once a week for for two years, and um, and then what happened was the Bible just got to be bigger inside me uh, than I am, and mm-hmm. I talk about that um, at, at, at fairly extensive length and in, in, in secret thoughts. So I won't recount all of it here, but um, but that this book was supernatural was unmistakable. And um, and the other thing that was unmistakable for me, and this was really striking, I mean, I, I didn't expect to feel this way, <laughs> um, was that I really wanted to know what God thought about, about matters of, of, of life, and that I wanted a, um, a triune God to intervene into my life. I mean, I was scared. I didn't know what it would mean, but I really wanted the, the, the Lord's kind company. I wanted what, what, um, what, what's, you know, what we talk about now is union with Christ. Um, and so I did start coming to church. I felt really awkward, um, um, but it, it did occur to me that I, I came there to meet God, not not really to fit in. And during this time, the, the church and the folks in the church, were, they were really tracking with me. Nobody, um, nobody farmed me out or tried to farm me out to some kind of an ex-gay, you know, ministry. Nobody treated me like I was a blank slate. Um, um, people were engaging and, and met me where I am. Um, but I was reading the Bible 
pretty extensively. And at one point, I had a research leave during those two years, and I was reading it up to five hours a day. Mm. You know, that gives the Holy Spirit a lot of room in your life. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know what to say. So um, it was a train wreck. I mean, I will tell you that when I came to Christ, um, I lost everything but the dog. And he was a nice dog, and you all would have liked him. But um, mm. I did not actually lose my job. But I did have to. Um, I did have to defend the right to um, change my field of study. Um, you can only imagine how painful it would have been if you were one of my graduate students, and I was no longer directing dissertations in queer theory. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, one of the most effective things the Lord did to create a culture of of Christian. Um, integrity through me was to shut me up. Hmm. That was really it. I mean, I, I was um, I was just silenced, at, you know, for the first couple of months after my conversion, but that silence spoke volumes because I was no longer advancing LGBT uh, rights and issues. I was no longer um, um, discipling students to follow after me. I was no longer... Um, you know, I was no longer speaking. I was, it was that holy hush. Mm. And, um, and, and that was a hard time, too. I mean, it was painful to betray, and it was a betrayal, to betray um, ex-lovers and, and friends who, you know, whom I had considered to be family. Um, it, was, it was very painful to turn my back on decade-long friendships and, um, and, um, Oh, you know, I don't know, um, rituals even that had come to mark the rhythm of my life. Mm-hmm. It was, um, it was disorienting, um, in a powerful way. You know, I, w- I was, um, reading your book and also, uh, found a couple of interviews online. And one statement from Ken Smith stood out to me where he said, we just fell in love with this gal and knew she needed Jesus. <laughs> You know? That sounds like Ken. Yeah, <laughs> You're right. I thought that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, there, there's. Um, I think there's a lot for the Christian community to learn here. Um, the misconceptions, perhaps, that evangelicals have regarding those who are part of the homosexual community and how to bridge, how, how to how to form friendships and and be true Christians. Right, and not to think that that homosexuality is somehow a special problem that requires, you know, kind of the Christian hazmat team. You know, only only experts can walk into that. Right. No, not at all. People are people. And um, God truly has, as the book of Ecclesiastes says, put eternity on our hearts. But probably one of the worst things the Church has done in terms of having a witness in an LGBT community, probably one of the worst things is is instead of engaging people at the level of friendship and relationship, instead of doing that, farming people out to a parachurch ministry with the with the idea that once you get fixed up, you know, once you're fixed up, then you know, then we want to talk to you. Yes. Yes. Oh, yeah. And you know, that's crazy. None of us are fixed up. I, I you know, I'm still waiting to be zapped. 
Um, I struggle with sin every day. Yeah, and and before we started um, our discussion, I just commented that we we constantly fail God. We constantly sin. We do. And and right. even even that list in in Romans one that we're all familiar with has right. many sins listed there. And um, you know we um, we don't want to focus on any one in particular. Um, let's let's talk about being disobedient to parents or or our pride in our hearts. Uh, this is this is all serious business, and Christ offers forgiveness, and He credits to our accounts because of the blood of Jesus Christ, His righteousness. Right, Amen. And and I think you know when we're reading the Bible too, it really helps to read it in big enough chunks that we're not we're not stuck in a kind of um, you know a kind of nearsighted reading. That Romans one list. The, the logical conclusion of Romans 1 is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't a difference uh, among those sins. I mean, you know, big sins, there are such things as bigger sins and littler sins, and sexual sins are bare because they go deep into your body, they go deep into your identity, and we're seeing that today. Mm-hmm. When, when, you, when you hear a group of people say, well, I'm a gay Christian, you're hearing someone say... My sexual desires, although they are at odds with what God has called, are so important to me that they are part of my identity. And if I'm going to be a Christian, then that identity needs to be shared, uh, that needs to be divided between the world and Christ. And, Hmm. you know, we would never have seen that unless we, um, you know, hadn't, you know, really been warned in, in some ways. We've already been warned that sexual sins tend to do that to people. Mm-hmm. They tend to create identities. And um, and through and that's, you know, that's why they're harder to deal with. Mm. Um, they create identities, they become indwelling sins through those identities, and probably the most tragic thing of all is a sexual sin um, always includes another person in that sin. Mm-hmm. So they are they are big. You know, as I think about uh, young people, um, there there may be some who are experiencing a same-sex attraction, and they're tempted to self-identify as a homosexual. Right. I suspect, however, and maybe you have a comment about that, but I suspect, however, that uh, a bigger area of temptation is pornography. Well, it's hard to tell. I mean, that's the thing. The, the only way to, to combat sin is through the Word of God in a holistic right. way. You don't know what's going to tempt you more. No, you don't. And you don't know what's going to tempt your children more. But in my, my new book, Openness Unhindered, I do talk uh, at great length about, um, about that problem of identity that is created um, in, um, in same-sex attraction, mm. in part because of the way the culture has been speaking loudly and has been speaking this way since the 19th century. This is not new with the Obergefell decision that legalized same-sex marriage. For, you know, at least 100 years, um, ever since the the birth of Freud, really, um, our culture has accepted the idea that homosexuality, that being gay or lesbian, bisexual or transgendered, is a form of personhood. And, you know, it could not have become, homosexuality um, could not have become a civil right if our culture hadn't already accepted it as a form of personhood. And this is mm-hmm. really important because, you know, God is so gracious. 
He has told us that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He has not declared homosexuality as a form of personhood, even if it is a persistent temptation. Mm -hmm. God makes it very clear that we are male or female image bearers of a holy God with a soul that will last forever. And in that definition of personhood rests our identity Mm. from cradle to grave. Everything else is external. They're temptations. They may be indwelling sin patterns, and they may be a bear. You know, they may be a persistent bear, Mm. but if you are in Christ, two things have happened. You are no longer in bondage to that bear, and you have Christ's kind company and the power of the Word of God in confronting and combating and battling uh, that particular sin. We are all called to drive a fresh nail into our choice sin every day. But if you make a false peace with that sin, call yourself a gay Christian, you know, one of the things that will happen is you will struggle. You will struggle with believing in a God who is powerful. And um, and that's a, that's a, uh, it's a demeaning struggle to have, because one of the most important things to remember is that, you know, he is the potter and we are the clay. Mm. So let me ask you this, um, as the Lord was dealing with your heart, did it come down to like a, an all or nothing um, scenario uh, regarding the Lordship of, of Christ? It, you know, it, it, it did, and, um, and it really had to do with who Jesus is. Because when I, when I came to Christ, I didn't stop feeling like a lesbian. It wasn't that Christ zapped me, I no longer struggled with my sexuality, and now I was free to come to Christ. That is not what happened. And in fact, I'm always telling people, I was never converted out of homosexuality. I was converted out of unbelief. Amen. And when the Lord gave me the faith to believe, that's when he started to work on some of those deep sticking points. Mm. Sexuality was a deep sticking point, but even deeper than that was pride, and specifically the pride that said, I did not want any man to have any authority over me or my body ever, um, you know, the end. Sure. So... It, it, took a, it, it took a long time to really see the sinfulness of my sexual sin, because it had become an identity, but it was very clear that I had a sinful attitude. And one of the things that was very helpful is I was in a church, um, which is fairly standard in, in Reformed churches, I was in a church that preached the whole counsel of God. So I was not in a church where people said, oh, if you struggle with homosexuality, you know, Tuesday night you meet with this group, and if you struggle with, you know, this, you struggle there. I was discipled holistically, uh, and it became very clear to me that Christ um, spilled blood for my laziness and my lying, uh, as he did for my, my, my sexual bentness. Mm-hmm. It, it was all part of the same package of God's love. And um, it was really, in, in, in some ways, not seeing my homosexuality as the most important thing to confront. It was mm-hmm. in the ability that, that, that the Lord gave me through Ken Smith's preaching and the 
and the integrity of this church to really look kind of so much bigger than that. You know, the Bible doesn't say homosexuality is a root sin. Romans 1 declares homosexuality is the ethical outworking of something else. And, you know, for some of us, for some of us, the thumbprint of Adam on our lives is a, a desire to retain all intimacy with members of our same sex. It's mm-hmm. a it took me a while to realize this, but it was a persistent question. Is lesbianism a reflection of who I, I really am? That's what I thought. Mm-hmm. But that's not what the Bible allowed me to think. What the Bible made me confront is, or is my sexual desire for women a distortion of who I really am to Adam? And so after a long, you know, intense time, or what seemed to me like a long, intense time, it did occur to me that my lesbianism was a case of mistaken identity. Mm. And, um, but I will tell you that, because I've had, I've had people say, oh, Zaria, you know, when did the yuck factor about, you know, your homosexual sex finally hit you upside the head? And mm. I've had to say, well, uh, that's not how it happened. No. I was convicted through the integrity of the Word of God alone. Yeah. I'm just so glad to hear of the role of the church in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes people think that they can do without the church. They can just have a right. little thing with them and Jesus in their right. living room once right. a week and and not right. have um, the interaction with God's people. In the last two, right. min- two minutes uh, today, can you tell us just a little bit about the blessings of, of being in a church? Absolutely. Very quickly, early on, Ken Smith said to me, there's no such thing as a believer who is not a member of a church, that it is not thinkable and it is dangerous. You would never send one poor little soldier off to war all by herself. Mm. Um, And this kind of, you know, this me and Jesus approach to church is, um, it's, it's disempowering for a believer, and it's degrading to the call of Christ, because the church is Christ ride. Mm. Um, but it's also a deep and rich sense of community and even family. So again, I talk about this more in my new book, about how family of God coming from the Church is indeed the way forward as we're thinking through now how to provide hospitality, how to, how to be hospitable Christians in a world that, that, that really hates us. We have to be clear about that. And it's painful to me, because this is the world I helped create. It's hmm. also the world I'm trying, by God's grace, to redeem. Amen. Amen. Well, it's fascinating. I, I've i enjoyed this book. I, there's not many books that, that um, kind of are at the top of the list that I've read. I'm a slow reader. <laughs> it takes me forever. <laughs> and then I, I get in between different books, and I just do a terrible job. I'm not a very good scholar. <laughs> but I've really enjoyed this book. And, and, I'm so glad. And, and there's one section in here where you talk about going through adoptions. And mm, there's, there's this one little girl, I think it's a girl, S, maybe you called her, and, yeah. and and you started to adopt her, and it didn't work out. That must have been, right. at the time, must have been crushing for you both. Mm, yes, it was. It was. But, you know, the Lord knows how weak I am, and Kent as well. And mm. the two times that we have, quote-unquote, lost a child, we have, a child was removed from our home that we yes. had wanted to adopt, 
but the agency felt that there was a, a really a better family for them. And, you know, mm. that's really painful, isn't it? You're just like, well, I can't imagine. Okay. <laughs> yeah. But both times, both of those children are now thriving and they were placed in Christian homes. Mm. And so I can't, I, I, this is not a wound I can lick. I, you know, do you know what I mean? Mm. I mean, this is that the Lord had many covenant families in mind for children who were once orphans yes. is amazing to me, and that I got to play a, a short role in their life. Oh, it's beautiful. It's so powerful. We don't get to choose the role that God has for us in the lives of each other. Mm. But God forbid if we don't show up because we need to direct the that role. It's not ours to direct. This is this is this is God's um, this is God's tapestry, mm. and how He uses us as threads is up to Him. But it's always perfect, and so both both children that we lost uh, to other families are were immediately moved from our covenant Christian family to another covenant Christian family, and all yes. we can do is praise God for that. <laughs> Today we've been talking with uh, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield. And uh, she's a writer, speaker, homemaker, pastor's wife, and most of all, a child of God. Mm-hmm. Rosaria, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure. Dear listener, you can find this broadcast up on our website as a podcast. We're found at RedeemerBroadcasting.org. Please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. I trust in your unfailing love. My heart exalts in your salvation And I will sing unto the Lord For He has been good to me How long, O Lord, will you forget? How long will you hide your face? How long will song Exalt my fall I trust in your unfailing love My heart exalts in your salvation And I will sing unto the Lord For He has been good to me Look on me my God, give light unto my eyes, bless my foe, rejoice and say that He has made me whole. I trust in your unfailing love, my heart exalts in your salvation. to the Lord, for He has been good to me. Yes, He has been good to me.